You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. One of the problems with this idea of the autonomy of secular affairs, and I think one of the misreadings of that derives from Machiavelli and in some ways from Luther. And it's an excessive division between the temporal and the spiritual, which would turn over the temporal affairs simply to matters of sinful men and just be willing to too easily abide the claim of wickedness and necessity to do wicked deeds as if that were a necessity of the state and something that can't be avoided. I think Maritain grapples with this problem very profoundly in chapter 3 of Man in the State on the problem of means. Here he develops an earlier essay from the range of reason, which can be found on the web through the Maritain Center on the end of Machiavellianism. Father Shaw also has a very good chapter in his book on Maritain. And I would just like to discuss Maritain's idea about the difficult matters of statesmanship and what others have called the problem of dirty hands. It is the case that Machiavelli, as a founder of the new political science, teaches in The Prince that the prince must learn how to do evil as well as good. And his rationale is that if one is not willing to do evil, the prince and the regime will be destroyed or undone by those who do evil. That is, it's a matter of preservation and the acquiring and maintaining of power to be willing to do evil. That's sort of said to be the beginning of modern political science as a realist, that it begins in realism. Machiavelli says we can't look to how men ought to act, but look how men really are. And he says they really are self-interested, passionate, deceptive. And so this leads to what Maritain says are the two great lies of Machiavelli. The lies are that the just man must be weak. And the second one is that the doing of evil leads to success in this world. Now, Maritain, as I said, has some very interesting thoughts on these claims of Machiavelli to realism, and he tries to take them on in terms of history. That is, in terms of actual achievements of historic political societies, and not simply to preach the ideal or the ought, which Machiavelli has made impossible by this appeal 
to realism. Now we know in The Prince, Machiavelli goes on in shocking manner to talk about cruelty well used, the need to commit the most barbarous acts of murder and deception in order to acquire and maintain power. He also talks about the need to be two-faced, to give the appearance of virtue, of piety, but being able to also know how to act against them. And of course it culminates in that famous passage in which Machiavelli ends the prince that fortune favors the daring and bold who can knock her down and control and possess her through their superior vertu or virtue, virtue redefined as effective power. I do think that Maritain has a good response to this view and has a way of undoing the realist claim at its very source. Of course, I will speak in the next section about the problem of war, where I think even Thucydides, who's considered by many the arch-realist, has many ways in which he moderates his realism, that Machiavelli has really overreached to the most extreme or daring form of the teaching of evil as a matter of political necessity. Basically, Maritain's end run here will be that if one properly understands liberal democracy, that it depends upon the free initiative of individuals. And the problem with Machiavellianism is that it depends upon a certain hypocrisy or deceit, that this dual morality that the prince can violate standards of morality, that the state must do evil, must be covered over, lest the people will be corrupted and think there is no basis for order at all. It's in this context that Maritain utters some of his remarks that again have led some to think he was too much of an idealist, but I think properly understood these are very relevant remarks. For example, at page 55 of Man in the State, he says that democratic society depends a lot upon gospel inspiration. He says that the democratic body politic is an imperfect materialization of the gospel principles in terrestrial and social behavior. Or at another place, he talks about the democratic society being a refraction of the gospel in temporal affairs. Now, I think if we trace this back to the principle of subsidiarity that we have earlier studied, we will see that Maritain is on to something here. That other passage is on page 61 where he says, democracy can only live on gospel inspiration. It is by virtue of the gospel inspiration that democracy can overcome its direst trials and temptations. In another book that's out of print, Christianity and Democracy, written to understand the crisis of the West 
in light of Nazism and communism. Maritain makes some similar claims about the role of gospel or evangelical inspiration. But let's look at the particular argument and why he may say such a thing. He makes a distinction here in Man in the State between the technical or artistic understanding of political life with what he calls the moral one. That is, what is political reason? Is it primarily a technical reason? Is the problem of politics primarily about how to get experts who know how to manipulate things to achieve the greatest possible results? Or is it a matter of freedom and virtue? Is it a matter of acquisition of habits ultimately for prudence? He says it's a question of means external to man, that's technical rationalization, or means which are man himself, his own freedom and virtue. So he attributes to Machiavelli the origins of this attempt to have a technical rationalization of political life. On page 56, he says, at the dawn of modern science and history, Machiavelli and his prince offered us a philosophy of the merely technical rationalization of politics. In other words, he made a rational system out of the manner in which men most often behave. In fact, by submitting that behavior to merely artistic form and rules. So good politics, by definition, is non-moral and successful. See, that successful politics must be non-moral politics. It's the art of conquering and keeping power by any means. Now, as I said, Maritain's distillation of Machiavelli is, he says, it ends up with two illusions or lies. The first one is that the just man must be weak. And secondly, that the doing of evil will lead to success. Maritain's response is that one can respect justice and have brains at the same time. That is, one can be just and strong. Secondly, he says, in reality, Machiavellianism does not succeed. And he has some very interesting arguments here, beginning with historic ones, leading up to ultimately questions about metaphysics. But he says the illusion proper to Machiavellianism is the illusion of immediate success. That is, there's no denial that the doing of evil and the hypocritical hiding of evil can lead to success. But, Maritain says, it is a length of time he calls immediate success. Immediate success may be even for the lifetime of a man. That is, Maritain is not an idealist who would say that crime never pays or the unjust are punished in this life. Obviously, that does not happen always. But, he says, for politics, success should not be success for a man or the span of life of a man, but success for a state or nation, according to the duration proper to the vicissitudes of the state. 
Here is where he says that Machiavellianism works for its own ruin and bankruptcy, as poison in the sap works for the illness of the death or a tree. Because he says the doing of evil is ultimately, here's where the metaphysics comes in, it's ultimately a power of corruption. That evil must prey upon the good. It's a squandering and dissipation of the energy of being and good. So, for example, Machiavelli says the prince must appear to have virtue, but learn how to do evil. Well, I think the Aristotelian response would be one cannot do good unless one is habituated to the doing of good. That character is not something that I can turn on and off at will, as if there were some superior power, neutral, that could control the doing of good and the good of evil. Here also he says, again, in a very prophetic tone, I might add, since this was written in 1951, that the perfection of Machiavellianism was to be found in the totalitarian states. And he had in mind particularly the Soviet Union. He says the more perfect and ruthless become the techniques of oppression, universal mutual spying, forced labor, mass deportation, the more difficult become any attempt to change or overcome these gigantic Machiavellian robots. But they do not possess lasting inner force. Their huge machinery of violence is a token of their own inner human weakness, the breaking down of human freedom and conscience, because it engenders everywhere fear and insecurity, is a process of self-destruction for the body politic. So his challenge here is, he says, how long can the power of a state endure, which becomes more and more of a giant as regards external and technical forces, and more and more of a dwarf as regards the internal, human, and actually vital forces? I think this is a prediction that the gigantic Machiavellian robot of the Soviet Union would eventually fall. And certainly, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn came and gave his warning to the West that the Soviet Union was based on the lie that they could not engender or inspire the basic commitment of its citizens. It was just a matter of time, not just time, but also equally the military might of the West, along with the internal rot of the Soviet Union, which John Paul also was able to highlight, which brought about its own undoing. So Maritain's argument here is there's a lesson to be learned for all Machiavellians. Doesn't that stand prophetically also as a warning to our country as we become a giant with external and technical forces? If our inner life becomes a dwarf, if the human the religious become more and more diminished, that's not good for the body politic as a whole. So what he calls, and by the way, I should also mention in his account of Machiavellianism, the other lie that the just man must be weak 
does not understand Aristotelian prudence, that justice is a matter for strength. And I think, again, empirically, this is proven in any accounts of history and in the conduct of warfare that those people who have a morale based upon a sense of the moral principle seem to be able to endure. Winston Churchill is an example that the just man is not weak but can be strong. So what is his account of what he calls the moral rationalization of political life? It is a teaching about democratic society, which we've already seen. On page 59, he says that we must acknowledge the essentially human ends of political life and its deepest springs, justice, law, and mutual friendship that democracy depends upon the cultivation of a sense of honor and generosity. Now this is where he gets to the point about democracy. He sort of reverses it now and says democracy is the only way of bringing about moral rationalization of politics. That is, in our day, democracy is the best regime because it is the one that most acknowledges the essentially human ends of political life and of its deepest springs. Now that's what leads to this praise of democracy at the bottom of 59, that democracy is the highest terrestrial achievement of which the rational animal is capable here below. That is an exaggerated statement, but I think he does this for a purpose which is, democracy is that regime which has come face to face with the issue of human dignity. And that becomes one of the driving factors, again, of modern politics and the modern age. It's one of the contradictions mentioned in Gaudium et Spes as a reading of the sign of the times, the church's document on the church in the modern world is that the modern age longs for freedom, solidarity, and affirmation of human dignity. But what that document points out, I think again in the spirit of Maritan, is that without tapping into the deeper moral and religious sources of action, those aspirations will be frustrated. Those aspirations will be brought into contradiction with its own counter-principles generated by self-interest, by seeking freedom without measure, by seeking justice not under God, but in the false sense of autonomy. So it's this that Maritain is praising here in his praise of democracy is that democracy is best able to call forth these energies of freedom, as he calls it, to compensate for the tremendous strength that's brought about through technological prowess and technological development. So Maritain has a few more remarks here over on page 67. 
that hooks this up with our earlier lesson on totalitarianism and pluralism. And again, here in a footnote, he does cite Alexis de Tocqueville, who I think would also agree with this principle. Actually, he quotes Tocqueville as follows. It is indeed difficult to conceive how men who have entirely given up the habit of self-government should succeed in making a proper choice of those by whom they are to be governed. And no one will ever believe that a liberal, wise, and energetic government can spring from the suffrages of a subservient people. Now, Maritain interprets this passage to mean that it's through intermediate groups, it's through local government, it's through the federal idea, not as a legalistic structure, but as an attempt to protect the principle of subsidiarity, that it's through the free initiatives of people that democracy will succeed. Now, finally, I would mention here at the end of the chapter, he does talk about the problem of means in a regressive or barbarous society. He also talks about Gandhi. He sort of takes the two extremes here. On the one side, he's fascinated with the achievement of Gandhi and what is called the power of truth, which again, I think, unveils the Machiavellian illusion. See, that it's not force of arms or physical strength which leads to political success, but it is rooted in truth and spiritual values. So again, Maritain is writing this in the 50s prior to the achievements of Martin Luther King Jr. or Lech Valenza, who have also shown the Machiavellian lie that it's the doing of evil or the wielding of physical strength which leads to success, but rather it is through the cultivation of justice and truth that a greater success for the nation is found. But on the other extreme, Maritain does see there is a dilemma of the problem of dirty hands, that in times of war, the problem of means in a regressive or barbarous society, he says, does lead to some very difficult choices. I think this is one of the things animating the appeal to Machiavellianism are those statesmen, those strategists, who do recognize the difficult dilemmas in times of necessity that many statesmen must face. For example, Michael Walzer talks about supreme emergency and how when a nation's back is up against the wall, such as was England, that Churchill may need to do things that would violate basic principles of morality. I think on some of the particulars of area bombing I will talk about in the next section, one can question the necessity of those. But Maritain does say there is a degree of prudence, a degree of what he calls a dark night full of snares, and it's up to personal conscience, reason, and moral virtue to bear in each particular case the right moral judgment. But he ends with a passage about the limits of moral science, which Paul Ramsey 
has often quoted in his writings on just war. Maritain says, moralists are unhappy people. When they insist on the immutability of moral principles, they are reproached for imposing unlivable requirements on us. When they explain the way in which immutable principles are to be put in to force, taking into account diversity of concrete situations, they are reproached for making morality relative. In both cases, however, they are only upholding the claims of reason to direct life. So he says, the task of ethics is humble, but it is also magnanimous in carrying the mutable applications of immutable moral principles, even in the midst of agonies of an unhappy world, as far as there is in it a gleam of humanity. And I think that's what will lead to our final lesson on the problem of war and to see if moral principles can be extended into these agonies of an unhappy world and consider the teaching of, again, Aristotle and Aquinas as it's been developed into the doctrine of the just war and how the internal development of the just war theory leads us back again to some of the most fundamental questions of political philosophy, including Maritain's last chapter of Man in the State on the problem of world government, where he thinks the state of affairs today leads by an Aristotelian argument to a new consideration about the role of the nation state and its relation to the United Nations. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.